air. This is Ellie Castine and Jess Fratelosi. And we are, um, we just did our last podcast last week. So if you haven't tuned into episode four with Alyssa Garza, there are lots of good insights around finding a therapist, just general self care. Um, so, highly recommend that. We are here today with a dear friend of mine, um, Brendan O'Toole, who I have known for far too long at this point. Um, and he is down in Austin, Texas, actually. So, we appreciate you t- taking some time this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see him, but he is, uh, what's that? Uh, Longhorns? Huckham Horns. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, Brendan and I have um, had lots of good times over the years. I've probably laughed the hardest with him and our friends um, doing all kinds of things. And so it often is funny for me to pause and really step back and reflect on really what an accomplished guy he is for as big of a goofball he is. He's also done quite a lot. Um, He is a retired sergeant in the Marines. And um, so we're hoping today to dive into some of the issues related to mental health, specifically with regard to veterans. So welcome, Brendan. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um. To get started, it would be great if you could maybe just speak to kind of what mental health means to you um, generally and specifically when considering, you know, what you've seen having been in the military. Awesome. Yeah. I'm uh, stoked to be joining you guys this morning. You guys can hear me all right? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And I want to say thank you. I think what you guys are doing awesome. And I've listened to a couple of your guys' podcasts and you guys are so natural and do an awesome job just bringing people on, answering and questioning people and, uh, and working through these topics. So I'm stoked to be here. Um, really happy to be talking about mental health as far as veteran issues. And when people ask me, you know, what does that relate to as far as your field of veterans work from personal experience and the things I've done over the last six years, um, really the definition of mental health is much more than just kind of brain activity and mental health in a whole, but more of like mind, body, and soul. Um, when I first was in the Marines, um, as I made my transition out, you know, mental health is a huge issue. And then through personal experience, and we'll get more into my personal story and things I've done since then, I was able to connect the dots and realize that mental health is related to your body, your soul, how you treat it, what you put in it, and uh, how you live your life. And that, I think, really is where you get your best uh, mental performance. So uh, mental health is just more than just the brain itself. It's the, it's the whole it's the whole kitty. <laughs> um. I had to get one in there and get you to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, One of the things that Brendan did upon coming back, I don't know, Brendan, if you want to talk a little bit about the run for veterans. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just tell you a little bit of my personal experience. Um, When I was 18, I finished up high school and I jumped right into the United States Marine Corps. And for a lot of people, um, that's a familiar route and to majority of the people in the country and especially millennials, people my age, uh, now I'm 29. That was kind of unheard of. And the reason I decided to do that was I think opportunity is something that a lot of us kind of pass up on. And uh, I learned a lot more about opportunities and myself through that experience. So I spent, you know, short story, four years in the Marine Corps, deployed twice, um, had an awesome experience, traveled the world, went to war, came back, and through that, I learned a lot about um, transitioning back to civilian life. So you go from 18 years of, of being a civilian 
being in a hometown to this hectic four-year traveling experience and dealing with major issues, then trying to go back into that civilian world that you just disappeared for four years. And during that part um, is really I, is where I learned a lot about the mental health and the struggle that veterans were making. And because of that, um, I decided to start this nonprofit organization with some of my best friends called the Run for Veterans. And for any of you that have seen Forrest Gump, um, I essentially just copied the plot and just started running. <laughs> That's awesome. So what is it? You guys, uh, you guys raise money, awareness? What yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the organization itself was, uh, I think I was 23 when I came up with the idea and I started running when I was 24. And um, look, you know, Ellie, you're obviously an expert in this uh, academically speaking and uh, clinically, I guess, socially, whatever certificates you have over there. (laughs) I'm kind of of an expert as far as just living it and then sharing experiences through this this endeavor I did. But basically what I did was I found nonprofit organizations that provided exactly what I was talking about earlier, mental, social, and physical services uh, to wounded veterans, their family members, and communities across the country. So what I did was I took, along with my friends, our expertise of uh, being loud and causing a lot of uh, a lot of attention and attraction to uh, our specialties, uh, social media, and I ran from California to Portland, Maine, wow. um, raising awareness and and funding for the causes of veterans. That's amazing. Yeah. he dressed up for halloween as forrest gump and they there's a picture we'll have to post it somewhere along this of them next to each other that's great spitting image (laughs) i feel like it's due time for me to watch that movie again i think it's like 18 (laughs) times and i just feel like it's time again it's it's thanksgiving this time of year i'm like it's time it's a classic it's classic it is that's great so what do you what i guess to you what what was it about the modality of running you don't even like to run. No, I absolutely hate running. And uh, it's always funny because when I go to an event, everyone's like, oh, man, how's your, how's your track record? How's your heart rate? What's your calorie intake? And, and uh, you know, I learned all those things through the long distance running I was doing. But I picked running itself because um, I was fortunate enough to go overseas and serve my country and, and help out and support combat operations. But I never came back uh, physically injured like a lot of my friends did. Um, you know, I've had a handful of friends take their own lives from the military side and the civilian side, and we'll get more into that later. But um, I picked running because, one, I hated it, and I figured if you're going to do something that's so important as to raising awareness for individuals who are, who are suffering physically, mentally, and socially, you ought to do something that's going to remind you exactly what you're doing every second of the day. So running obviously uh, requires having to think about what you're doing. And uh, it was the, the closest thing I could relate to as far as – um, pain levels to, to keep you kind of in this, the right mindset as to what you're doing, keeping your eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the more running I did, the longer the trip was, the better I got at it. But, you know, for the beginning, it was definitely a, uh, a clear eyes, clear mindset there. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about this event you were a part of on Sunday? Yeah. So one of the groups I worked with was called Given Hour and Given Hour is based out of Washington, D.C. by a lady by the name of uh, Barbara Van Dalen. And she started this group called Given Hour. And it's the name itself is is what they do. Exactly. They, they're mental health providers that give one hour um, a week to anyone 
originally was just veterans, but now it's anyone in the country who's seeking some kind of guidance through mental services. Um, I was lucky to go down last Sunday in Washington, D.C., and they, they showed part of a screening for a documentary that's coming up about my run called Running on Empty, which will be released this spring. Oh, wow. And they sh- yeah, they showed part of it there. And uh, afterwards, we had a panel discussion. And it was really cool because here I am up on stage and I'm surrounded by these uh, well-educated, well-known uh, industry leaders in mental health services. And then there's myself who, who does not have any of those qualifications except for I've lived a day in and day out a lifestyle surrounded by military members and their families. And then I've met all these people across the country from my run. And so I was able to speak uh, a lot about um, what I have seen firsthand and, and share that information with people in the audience. And one of the cool things that I noticed when I was looking out into the crowd was um, there was a significant amount of people 35 and younger. So obviously millennial generation there. And I think that's huge because it's our responsibility to carry the torch forward. Um, you know, naturally speaking, I think it's, you know, you have all these experts that are 45, 50, 60, 70 years old. And while they're well educated, it's kind of hard to grasp the attention of people our age. So um, it was cool to be able to kind of be the bridge between the millennial generation and then all these experts. Um, one of the things that someone asked me was, you know, besides what what's the hardest thing about running across America? And it's kind of obvious it's running. But, <laughs> you know, for myself, people ask, you know, why, why did I go out there and, and run the entire time uh, for all these people? And it wasn't, you know, yes, the idea was to create a lot of awareness and a lot of noise for other people. But in itself, too, I was helping myself um, get better. And when people ask about that and what that means, I mean, I did a lot of soul searching on the road. Um, one of the most important things I think about my time in the service was kind of how people transition out of, out of the combat zones. You know, back in the day, Vietnam War would take you probably a couple of weeks, World War II, probably a month and a half to get back. Today, you can be in a combat operation in Afghanistan and Iraq and then discharge three days later back in the United States or in a cheeseburger at McDonald's 72 mm-hmm. hours later. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, man, with technology, travel, um, you can go from such extremes to back to normal or normal for what we call it civilization here. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I decided to get on the road to see how other service members were transitioning. Um, one of the big things on the road was, uh, I, you know, coming back, I used to do op- night operations in Afghanistan. And when I came back, I was, my sleep was reversed. So daytime was nighttime there. Nighttime was daytime here. So to get back onto it, they put me on Ambien and sleeping medication that later turned into antidepressants and then really just horse tranquilizers is kind of the best way I describe them. But mine was such a smaller uh, effect than what most guys go through who are on these things for years. And what I learned from my running um, by the time I got to the finish line, when I was off all these medications was surrounding yourself by positive people, getting off these medications that are essentially band-aids and then getting, you know, healthy, good sleep, physical activity, eating right, changed my life completely. What do you, um, could you elaborate a little bit on, on your experience? What, Exact, and I'm, I've read some about this, but what um, types of mental illness or um, just general struggle do, are the most common um, co- transitioning out, out out of the military? And then I also was wondering: Does the military? You mentioned 
you um, were prescribed medication for sleeping, do they offer anything like um, for soldiers that are transitioning back to civilian life uh, as far as, you know, therapy or, um, I don't know, a, a program to kind of transition back in? What, what, what's available there? And, and what have you seen um, as far as uh, the most common types of mental illness or, like I said, just, just struggles that people have faced? So um, I got out in 2012 and we're in 2017 now. So there, there's a little, there's been a huge change since I got out. Good. Um, I hope for the best. I hope for the better. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely getting better. Obviously, you know, I think it's common knowledge that 22 veterans commit suicide every day. I don't know if that number as of today has gotten better. And I'm a firm believer it takes time to make, make things change. And I hope that number will decrease. Um, However, when I was getting out, there was a very limited transitioning program and opportunities for service members from the community level to receive help. Everything was kind of funded through the VA, and that was known as kind of like the death sentence. It took years to get any information back from the VA and your, your qualifications or your, um, your medical support that you needed. Today, now, there's so many nonprofit organizations that are out there that are helping with that transition. I think there's a huge support out there and that's readily available. Um, the biggest thing I see for service members is this issue, at least when I got out, of being on all these medications that people necessarily didn't need to be on. Mm. And that was kind of a standard protocol. Now, I don't think it was necessarily like doctors and the medical um, staff's fault. It was just kind of the protocol of, of what to do. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are getting out with, with major surgeries and on opiates and um, antidepressants. And then you got these sleeping medications. So you're up, you're down, you're not eating well, you're drinking on top of it. Um, psychologically, I don't think there was any rest for the normal military member's brain coming out of there. And while they're consumed in all these medications, majority of us, at least for myself, thought that we were completely fine and acting completely normal. And to the normal person outside watching what was going on inside, um, I think if you ask them, they would say something's not right here. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most common thing I see uh, today. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've read that um, depression is enormous mm-hmm. and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and also traumatic brain injury. And I wonder if you Ellie or you, Brendan, could elaborate on like kind of a little bit more about each of those and where the lines might blur or what's, you know, I know traumatic brain injury is a little bit different than the other two. I mean, traumatic brain injury is much more, um, you have like, it, like something physically happens. Right. You could think about it more like, you know, the way, the way somebody gets hit in a concussion or something like that. It's more isolated. The, the effects may be very psychological and may present psychologically, but usually there's it feels more medical to me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Of course, we know there's a big intersection with that. Um, I think in terms of depression and PTSD, you know, the crucial piece of PTSD is there has to be a trauma of sorts, but how trauma is defined is really broad and be anything. Um, so I think that you know, I think sometimes people think about that so narrow-mindedly, even if somebody had served overseas and maybe wasn't involved in direct combat or anything else, that whole experience of just going could be traumatic, of having this regimented life and then coming and transitioning back. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean 
that you had to have seen mm-hmm. um, or yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, Ellie, I'm totally tracking what you're saying. I mean, from a, from a service standpoint, you know, I think PTSD has gotten the spotlight since the wars have kicked off. I mean, I think you've asked a lot of people, the majority of people in the country beforehand, what that was. No one knew what it was essentially. Now it's kind of a, a common saying, a common headline in papers or media. Um, and that's kind of, you know, look, wars, wars, obviously not a uh, pretty thing, but what's been developed, what's been researched and what's been created because of the two wars, as far as the mental health field, the medical field in general, um, communities coming together with nonprofit organization, um, that in itself has expanded drastically because of huge funding. Um, you know, I only knew what PTSD was from the, from the military side. And now I've got friends who've had no military affiliation who also suffer from PTSD from certain traumatic, uh, situations, whether it's, you know, some kind of accident and abuse, um, or whatever it might be. And I, and I think as a whole, um, we're learning a whole lot more about it, um, today. So, there are some kind of good things that are coming through all this, this, these troubles. And I think, you know, a lot of the times you have to look into those things. Mm-hmm. I think you made a really interesting point, Brendan, around not having this space to process. Um, I definitely, even through all our conversations over the years, hadn't really thought about that travel time back, that that's so much shorter. Um, mm-hmm. And that that in a way was perhaps healing for some to, have a little time and space um, in that influx in between the two locations, you know, the war zone and then coming back here Mm -hmm. and really thinking about what that means broadly um, for people that experience a traumatic event and how that immediate time and space afterwards um, is processed. Because we also know that not everyone that's experienced a trauma develops PTSD. It could be lots of people at the exact same event who are and and some will certainly suffer from um, some of those symptoms and others will walk away, you know, resilient and feeling okay and just thinking through, um, again, that time and space in between that those, that, I don't know, I, that point really resonated with me. Well, a lot of PTSD too doesn't occur within three days, 60 days, 90 days, a year, five years. It's 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And uh, through some of, you know, I've obviously been, tied into the veteran network since I've been out and I've worked with Vietnam guys who have been out for 40 years and are just experiencing it within the last five, 10 years. Um, so there's still a lot to be learned. So I, I think that's why this conversation is great is because it's giving people an education and awareness as far as what could happen, what to expect, how to handle it. One of the cool things that I really enjoyed talking about at this conference last week was um, it's owning, owning who you are. And, uh, and having that ability to do that really helps out your future. And what I mean by that was, you know, here I am in this documentary that they showed. And at the beginning, I mean, I looked sick. I looked tired. Uh, I was dating this girl at the time. And she's always looking at me like, you're kind of crazy. Like, what, what's wrong with you? Like, I wasn't doing anything ridiculous, but I just wasn't myself. And I didn't look myself. In the meantime, I didn't realize that because I'm so heavily medicated on these things. And then at the end of the movie, I mean, there's like better color in my face. My eyes are clearer. I, I look healthier. Um, and I, I realized, wow, in that nine months of running, I went through this huge change. And so someone said, you know, how does that make you feel looking back at who you were and who you are now? And I think I thought that was the greatest thing because um, 
look, that was four years ago or five years ago when this, when this run had finished and I'm not defined who I was. I'm not defined by who I was four or five years ago or eight years ago when I first was in the military to who I am today. But it's important to know who I am now and how I got there. And when I brought that comment up on stage last Sunday, um, you know, we were, we were talking a lot about mental health. And at the time, we were talking about the topic of suicide. And um, a lady got up and she was obviously very upset. And she said for the first time in her life, she announced to the, to the group of 150 people there that her sister had, had uh, lost her battle to depression. And before that, she'd always been saying that she killed herself and she was embarrassed by saying she killed herself. And now she owned it by accepting that and felt more comfortable by saying she lost her battle to depression. And as soon as she said that, a mom got up and said the same exact thing. And then another person did that and another person did that. And four people within that audience who'd never owned what who they were had owned the situation and, and felt comfortable to share it with people. And it really just opened up a lot of doors and so messages like that are going to continue to spread across the country. Um, so really, at the end of the day, I love talking about these things. Um, it, it's been hard from, through times, but I know how much help it gives from people being able to relate and then say, oh, man, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And then they, they can own whatever, whatever situation it is. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think like what you're saying is that it, it takes a lot of courage to own your story. And yeah. yet does so much for you and all of those around you and allows everyone else to feel, to kind of get that boost and courage to be vulnerable and better themselves too. Um, I think the other piece to that is also the importance of language and realizing that um, language is so powerful and just that subtle distinction between she killed herself or even I know that there's a movement now to to no longer say committed suicide, but died by suicide since it really isn't somebody Um, you know, it's the only option they see to end the pain. Um, so just again, like you had said that she lost her battle to depression. Look, it's tough stuff we're talking about and there's, you know, it's not, it's not fun. It's not something people necessarily want to jump up in the morning and start talking about. Um, but what I've also learned through all this is when you're able to own yourself and, and you know who you are and you know where it is you want to go, um, you know, one thing I've been focusing on a lot, and especially if you ask Ellie, you know, I've played a lot of different, I've worn a lot of different hats since the military. I went from, you know, a high school student to, I guess, like an athlete, high school student to, you know, a Marine, to a runner guy, to a nonprofit, <laughs> to a nonprofit spokesperson, to a media spokes individual, um, and then podcasting, you know, networking, all this kind of stuff, to car sales. And so it's like every two years, if you do the math, I guess every two years, um, I'm redeveloping myself and doing something different. And a lot of people will say, well, that's really inconsistent. But now is the time that you have the opportunity to, to wear these different hats and try these different things. And um, through this conversation, it's given me a lot of opportunity to meet different people and travel, travel the world, travel the country. And, uh, you know, sometimes people beat themselves up about, oh, I'm still doing the same thing over and over and over again. Well, first of all, everything we do is not easy and you have every day to readjust and change what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that, that you talk about changing your path a couple different times. Um, I think that change is the only, it's the only way for personal growth. And, and you, the reason you've done that and you live your life that way is you're clearly 
never satisfying with anything less than feeling great. And so you make these little edits because you see opportunities to make your life and your day to day better. Mm-hmm. And um, that says a lot about you, but it also, I, I want to use this to encourage people that maybe haven't settled into a career or they're veered off of the same path that they were on previously um, and feel guilty because it's inconsistent. No, it's, it means that you're, you're making little changes. You're editing your life. Um, and I, I saw a quote, I was trying to find it on Pinterest, but like something about never stop editing. Like this is your masterpiece and you have yeah. to continue editing to arrive there. Um, and I just want to say how much I admire what you said about choosing running because it's hard and um, just do it, making decisions as often as possible that are uncomfortable are what are going to shape us into better people, better people, stronger people, people, mm-hmm. happier people, red feather, yellow feather, red feather. <laughs> tongue twister. Um, but yeah, I love that. I think that's awesome. I'm, I have actually a tattoo on my, wrist um a greek delta and it means change because i believe that um i believe that that's kind of the source of continuously getting better but uh, i grew up in a military family too and moved all all and um and so i I was inspired to get this tattoo back in college because i realized i had never lived anywhere for longer than four years and then when i was in college i was at that i had been there um pretty much boston had been my home longer than anywhere else and I was like, you know what? A part of what makes me me is that, um, is that I, my environment and my uh, circumstance has changed consistently since I was since I was born, and that's a good thing. So I'm a, that ends my tangent. <laughs> no, it's not a tangent at all. I think it's highly relevant, um, and I think that you know I'm thinking about Brendan's journey all over the last several years post um, military, and. Realizing also that sometimes you make decisions, Brendan, don't hate me for sharing this, but sometimes you make decisions that you think are going to be right and you realize they're not. And I know um, at the time I ripped on you, we all ripped on you a lot, but I had a conference out in California and Brendan, (laughs) you know where this is going, (laughs) um, had just, you know, said, guys, I'm moving to California. Like I'm going to love it out there. And when I totally coincidentally had this conference. He'd been there about 24 hours. He happened to have just gotten there before me. And I'm like, How, how's Callie like treating you? And he looked at me and he's like, I cannot live here. <laughs> like, how serious is this? You know, have you just not found your place yet? And he was like, this is not for me. And I know myself and I know how stubborn I am and, and kind of get fixed in things. Like, no, I thought this was going to be a good idea. I need to make this work. And you, although again, we gave you a really hard time about it, you were able to say like, no, I I know that this isn't where I'm supposed to be. It was a nice idea. I had a good little road trip, but I got to go back. And you came back immediately. And I know I, I, you know, really, truly do admire that because someone, I would have been way too proud to just return to my family and friends. I know we, we did give you, um, it's about knowing yourself, but it's about knowing yourself. It's about owning your story and, and owning your decisions. Like, yeah, okay. It sounded cool, and it didn't turn out to be what I hoped. <laughs> well, I like to think I was just giving a good friend a ride to the airport, but that's <laughs> that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but, yeah. but honestly, I mean, look, you bring up both awesome things. Look, you're talking about uh, decisions. You're talking about change. And we were talking about time and how time, you know, people freak out about. You know, look, let's go back to that, that conversation about 
being in Afghanistan and ordering cheeseburgers in America. That change happened in three days. We're so used to technology and, and having things delivered to us immediately that we're not used to having time to go through things. Um, I remember when I finished the run, everyone was like, oh, you got to do this, 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 that, and that. And all I wanted to do was just chill for one year and just relax because my body was in so much pain. Mentally, I was exhausted. I took that year off to do exactly what Ellie was talking about and go figure out where do I want to set up shop? I go out to California, make a decision to go out there. I take some time to get out there. And I realized this is a horrible idea. So I made, it, I made a change. And I came back to the East Coast, give it some time, make a decision, get down to Texas. I fall in love with Texas, love Austin. I'm happier than I ever have been. I'm doing producing more than I ever have been. Uh, and my mind's clearer than it ever has been over the last decade. So really the, the change, the decision, those times, you got to give it time to to let all those things kind of develop themselves. Yeah, I love that. Um, not to kind of go back in the conversation, but I'm just thinking again, you know, it's amazing that you've found your path in this way and um, it's really cool what you've done. And yet you still had your struggles along the way too, as um, in your own experiences or what you've seen alongside your friends. Um, what do you think, what advice would you give to family and friends who are welcoming, um, you know, whether it's military members back or even just from a general mental health standpoint, how can, um, how do you use, what, what was kind of, I guess, that you saw the most helpful types of support that you got during your kind of low points? I think that's the best and hardest question I get uh, consistently, and I still don't have an answer for that. And, and the reason I say that is because I've made so many mistakes, um, uh, since coming out of the service to where I am today. And I continue to make mistakes. Um, but when I walked out of my apartment this morning, I was thinking, man, I've made a lot less mistakes here in Texas in the last six months than I have in any other place I've been since my run. And that was four years ago. Um, you know, and it's easy to say, you know, you just got to give it time. And it's also hard to say that because there are family members who are watching their service members, their family come back, or if they're not uh, related to the military, come back and struggling with these mental issues and watching them hurt so bad and, um, and watching them kind of self-destruct. And so when you give someone advice like that, just give it time. Well, you can't really sit back or it's hard to sit back and watch someone self-destruct in front of you with just giving time. Um, obviously the next thing I'm going to say, which probably people hear all the time is, you know, you just got to be there to support them. Like, well, that's great. Like, how do I, how do I do that? Um, you know, for me, I think my, my friends, not to discredit my family or anything, I got a great family, but I think my friends were, were the biggest impact that led to my overall success coming out of the military. And I say that because, um, they did give me time and they probably gave me time because it's easier to hear from your brother or sister. Hey, stop doing this. You're acting like an idiot. Most friends won't say that, but they'll hang out with you and they'll support you and kind of be that buffer. Um, so I think those guys gave me time to kind of work through what I needed to, but more importantly, all of them supported me and they supported me in the things that I wanted to do. And the things that I wanted to do were positive. So it made it easier for them to support and give me time on the vision that I was creating and the end goal I was trying to get to. Now, remind yourself that I did make plenty of mistakes along the way and I made things tough for myself and I made things tough for friends, family, and loved ones. But You're um, owning your story. that combination, yeah, is really ultimately what's led to where I am today. Cool. What do you think, um, do you have any word of advice? And I guess this is a similar question as Ellie's, but 
even for people who are not directly affected, but how can we as individuals um, be more welcoming, more understanding, more aware for, um, for veterans as they transition to civilian life or active duty military? How, how can we just be, be more open-minded, be, be there as a support, even though, you know, what would your word of advice be to the general public on how they can make a difference? Well, that's a great question because you get people that are that are pro-military and not maybe necessarily not pro-military, but don't understand the uh, lifestyle of it. And they want to yeah. figure out a way how to one either connect or not offend. Um, and one of the biggest things I think is, look, if you're pro-military, you're probably going to get involved with fundraising or some kind of event. And if you're not and you still want to figure out or just show support or, or just show true uh, you know, human goodness out of yourself – um, I think inviting military members to what it is that you're doing is a great opportunity to just start a friendship or, or create something awesome. And what I mean by that is, look, I live, I'm obviously a conservative person being in the military and that's kind of my background, but I live in a place that's very liberal and they probably don't necessarily agree with a lot of the things that I've done or the things that I continue to do. But I've got awesome artists and musicians and people that just live a completely different lifestyle from my regimental military lifestyle Constantly, when I walk down the streets, I'm I'm going to music fairs or art festivals and things of that sort. And you know, there are times where we start talking, and they say, "Oh, what's your background?" and and I kind of say it. And not once have they ever discredited me, but they've invited me to participate in what they're doing. And that in itself, that kindness, that that opportunity, that lending hand, I, I think is awesome. And I think everyone can apply that to themselves, whether it's uh, veteran um, targeted or not. Um, so I just think that's a really cool thing. Yeah, whether whether or not you're pro military or you pro human beings, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any final kind of takeaway points or words of advice or just you know something that helps you get through every day or, or really just stay um, intentional and on top of owning your story? Yeah, you know. So for, for, you know, a year of running across America, I was just talking about mental health issues and, and how they affect me, how they affect my friends. And then through that, I realized, wow, this is much bigger than, than just service members. It also, I mean, I got a, my dad's mother suffered greatly from it. Um, I've had some cousins, other friends have committed suicide, um, from veteran and civilian side. Um, and then through my traveling across the country and all these mistakes and opportunities I've taken, um, I'm not so driven as far as the mental health issues anymore. It's more about the overall well-being of yourself. And what I mean by that is today I'm reading self-development books. I consistently listen to podcasts. That's why I think what you guys are doing awesome because it's these little bits of information. I might not use all of it, but if I hear one little thing, one little key topic, I can plug that into my brain and subconsciously and consciously it plays throughout my day and then probably hopefully my future. Um, I think that has been the biggest thing that I've learned, especially over the last six months to the year that I've traveled and made my way down to Texas here. And, uh, you know, it's cool. My dad's 73, 74. And, uh, you know, for 50 or I guess 70, whatever years of his life, he's been dealing with his, his mom, who was a, a huge alcoholic and um, just, just a really dark person. 
And while she provided him a great education, a great opportunity to be successful, um, there's been a lot of damage in his life. And he's not one to really get out there and talk. And I just started sending him these different podcasts once a week and then just kind of shoot him an email and, and just bring something up from the topic or just share a vision or share a goal or something of mine. And through that, over six months, he's the most talkative in his life than he's ever been in my 29 years of life. And, you know, now he calls me and goes on these 20 minute rants that I don't have time for because I'm trying to close <laughs> a sales deal over here. But it, it just shows that, you know, look, as millennials, this is, this is our thing. We've developed these podcasts. We've developed this information, but it's affecting people that are completely out of our generation and showing positive results. So my big new thing that, I, that you know, I've been a spokesperson for the Marines, military, the transition veterans. My big thing now is promoting um, this, this positive material and influencing yourself by good people, good, good places and uh, good times. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Awesome. Um, Well, Brendan, this was a trip as always. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, For those of you that haven't seen it yet, um, please check out in studio our November Handle with Care initiative that is um, dedicated to veterans. We are collecting money to buy tea passes for um, veterans at the New England Home and Center for veterans um, to help them get to their job interviews, appointments, and things that are integral for their um, success. And so there's also the opportunity to write a thank you note to them when you donate. So we would love to have you participate. Just remember that it's cash only. Yeah. Um, And I loved your last point, Brendan. And I just had an idea. If If you're listening and you have people in your life or acquaintances or people that you've been struck by that you get a sense might need some help or might be struggling. What a great way to um, send a positive message in a non-invasive way is to share our podcast or something similar. Send it along via text message and just say, Hey, look what the, I go to this spin studio. They're doing something cool. doesn't have to be any pressure behind it, but maybe they'll listen and maybe it'll make a difference. Um, so that's what we're all about. So I love that you shared that. Um, all right. I guess awesome. that's it. All right. Talk soon. Cue the music. <laughs>